uh, Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 13a. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of all of the first fruit of all of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord and the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all that the Lord your God has given you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Lord, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house, and moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. This is the word of the Lord. Matt. invite you to pray with me. Gracious God, you are the giver of every good gift. And so we ask now that as we study your words, that your words would be life for us, that they would be truth for us, that they would reveal who you are, that they might challenge us if we need to be challenged, that they might comfort us if we need to be comforted. Mostly we ask, God, that your words would be your grace unto us and that you would gift us with all the goodness that we need from you this morning. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. We've been working our way through the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy in our fall sermon series, and one of the sneaky truths that we've been finding in Deuteronomy is that God cares about our emotions. God cares about how we feel. He wants us to experience his fullness not just in what we do and what we say, but also in how we feel. We see this in verse 11 in this passage on generous giving. God says, you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given you. You shall rejoice is a command, but it's also a description that God wants us to be filled with joy. And so let me ask you this morning, as we begin a reflection on giving and generosity from the scriptures, how are you feeling? How are you feeling this morning when you think and talk and 
act and engage giving and a command and an invitation to generosity? Are you feeling slightly guilty? I know I'm supposed to give God, but if you only knew my circumstances, are you feeling anxious perhaps? I would love to give if only my circumstances were a little less tight. Are you feeling suspicious? Oh, here's another pastor in another church talking about the money that God wants from my pocketbook. Are you feeling resentful? Hands off, God. This is mine. Are you feeling indifferent? Feeling apathetic? How are you feeling? As you consider a passage in which God invites us into the joy of generous giving, how are you feeling? Maybe, are you feeling a little bit excited? Are you feeling a little bit of joy, even, at the thought of the grace that comes when we open up our hands and give generously as God has given to us? Maybe that's a question for us this morning. What would it take for the needle to move toward joy in our emotions as we consider God's command and invitation to give and to give generously? What would it take for the needle to redline in joy as we think about the opportunity to give and to give generously? You've maybe heard this said before, that Jesus talks about money when he talks about ethics as much as any other topic. And he doesn't do it because he wants you to feel guilty. He does it because he wants you to experience the fullness of his joy. Paul, the apostle, says to the church in Corinth, God loves a cheerful giver. He loves one who gives cheerfully. But I think that also could mean that God loves his people to be of good cheer and to be filled with joy. And one of the ways that he gives us for that to happen is the grace of giving. You see, the dynamic that we've experienced in Deuteronomy, time and time again, passage after passage after passage, is that the invitation is to ground our lives, to root ourselves in relationship with God through love and obedience in a way that will lead to fruit that's born for the lives of those around us, right? That's been the sermon series, rooted in God's covenant relationship so that we can bear fruit for the nations, right? Attention toward God and attention toward others. But here's the sneaky truth. In the midst of all that, as we give ourselves to God and to others, we find that we are our best selves and we experience joy. And this is true when it comes to how we handle our money. I've been haunted all week by a question that I came across in my preparation for this sermon. The question is this. Do you beg God to be able to give more than you give now? Do you beg God to be able to give more than you give now? I don't. I don't know that I've ever begged God to be able to give more. But I think I would like to. What would it take? What would it take to move the needle? Here's our outline for those of you who are note takers and like to keep track. It'll take grasping the grace that leads to giving. Grasping the grace that leads to giving. It will take grasping the good that flows from giving. And it will take actually giving. 
grasping the good, that, the grace that leads to giving, the good that flows from giving, and then giving. And the fruit God promises will be joy. First, grasping the grace that leads to giving. If I'm honest, as I reflect on my life and my joy, uh, or lack thereof, when it comes to my giving, or lack thereof, I think that lack can be traced to two things, fear and pride. Fear and pride. On the one hand, fear. We live in a world of scarcity that's a zero-sum game, and so if I give what's mine away, there may not be enough for me. Fear. What happens if I don't take care of myself with what I have? And then secondly, pride. What I have is mine. I worked for it, I earned it, and I have the right to do with it whatever I want. Neither of those postures when it comes to wealth and generosity lead to joy. But that's my experience. Fear and pride, and both are born of the sin of unbelief. It's a lack of believing in God's goodness. It's a refusal to believe that as Mark prayed for us from Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, it all belongs to Him. And He is a generous God, a God of abundance, who will provide everything that I need. It's a failure to believe that God owns the world and that's a good thing because He's going to give us everything that we need for our fullness and for our joy. Can you relate? When it comes to generosity, can you relate to those experiences of fear and maybe even of pride? I think Israel could relate. And so God gave them the gift of giving first fruits. He gave them the gift of giving first fruits. He says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord is giving you. So put yourself in Israel's shoes. They had been enslaved. They're coming into this new land. It's a land of abundance. They're an agrarian society. And so they're given the land and they work the land. And they work the land hard. And they sow and they plant and they tend and they harvest. And so they probably pulled some all-nighters getting the first of the harvest in, and then God commands them, you've got this good produce from this land. You've worked hard. Now, before you pluck one of those grapes to see how it tastes, before you do your first round of canning the vegetables so that you'll have enough for later, I want you to take the first, I want you to take the best, and I want you to give it to me. Just give it to me. Right before... You taste it yourself. Before you set some aside to make sure you have enough for later, give it to me. What is that? That is God giving them a gift to direct their hearts to him and faith. To acknowledge to him that he is the God of abundance and he will provide. Whether the harvest comes in or not in its fullness, God will provide. It's a gift to say the best of what you have is the best because it belongs to me. 
Right? It's just an exercise of faith to push against those tendencies that we have toward fear. I need to hold on to make sure that there's enough and to pride. This is mine. And I'm going to do with it what I wish. Both of those postures are the closed fist. And God is prying our hands open with the offering of the first fruits. Because he knows his people. He knows their tendency. Do you remember back in Deuteronomy 8? God said, be careful. Be careful lest you think that it's your might and your hand that has made this wealth. He said, no, no, no. I've given it to you. And I'm the God of abundance. You don't have to worry. And you don't have to grasp. Because it's all mine. And I'm going to give it to you. And as I give it to you, you can give it away. And as you do, you will find joy. This is the grace that leads to giving. Everything is God. And he loves to give it away. He does not have a closed fist toward us. His hand is open. My father loved Christmas. I love Christmas. It's my favorite holiday. I think I love it because... He loved it so much, and he loved Christmas so much because it is the time of the year when we give and get gifts and recognize the ultimate gift that God has given us in Jesus. And my dad loved to give good gifts. And the reason he loved to give good gifts is because he grew up dirt poor, and the best Christmas he ever had might have been an apple or an orange. And he worked hard as an adult to be able to provide for his family. But he was the most generous person I've known. And he was the most joyful person I know as he gave. And I've reflected on my dad and his life so often because I don't know if I were him. And if I had grown up in that kind of poverty, and if I had been able to achieve some measure of financial stability and success, I don't know if I could have been that open-handed. And some of you may have grown up in that way. And it would be such an easy thing to say, now that I have some measure of security, I'm going to hang on to that security because I'm not going back there from where I came from. And it would be so easy to say, now that I have some wealth for myself because I've worked for it, I'm going to do with it what I want because for so many years I had nothing. Wouldn't it be so easy to treat wealth that way? And it just wasn't my dad's posture. And the reason was very simply he recognized that everything that he had, all these good things that came into his life were a gift from a good God. He recognized that the difference between him and his siblings who were still in poverty had nothing to do with his own hard work, his own ingenuity. It had everything to do with a God who loved to give good gifts and who did indeed give him a good gift. Friends, this is the picture of the Bible. It's the picture of this passage in which God commands his people to give and to give generously. But the theme of this passage is that God is the first giver. Did you catch that? Six times in this passage, over and over and over, Moses reminds the people, the land that you are coming into is the land that 
God gave you. The crops that you are bringing in are the crops that God gave you. When you bring the first fruits of the land that you worked, he says, recognize that those crops are the crops that God gave you. He is a generous God. It's all his. And he's giving it away to you so that you can enjoy it and enjoy giving it away as well, just like him. So let me ask you to think about an exercise that you could do this week. Think about everything that had to go your way for you to be able to earn the paycheck that you earned this week. Think about everything that had to go your way, all the gifts that had to come to you from a good God for you to be able to earn the paycheck that you earned this week. You had to exist, right? How did you get yourself onto this planet as a breathing human being? You didn't do anything. It was a gift, right? The parents and the family that you were born into, a gift. The intellect that you have, that yes, you cultivated, but the intellect itself, a gift. The health that you have that enables you to work, a gift. The fact that you were born now instead of third century, a gift. The fact that you were born in a country with economic stability rather than in the countryside in an impoverished nation, a gift. A gift, a gift, a gift. Friends, as you consider all the gifts that God has given you and his generosity, you'll begin to recognize, you know what? I think of this wealth as mine because I think that I've earned it, but actually, it's not mine at all. It's all the result of God's good gift. And as you begin to open your hands in acknowledgement and receiving, your hands will stay open to be able to give away. And as you do, God's promise is that you'll find joy. Would you take them up on that challenge to grasp the grace that leads to generous giving? That's the first point. The second point is to grasp the good that flows from giving. To grasp the good that flows from giving. I love this. In God's economy, generosity, giving wealth away, is not just a win-win, it's a win-win-win, right? In this passage, there are three constituencies that are winners. Did you notice that? And the first is God. When God's people give, God wins. Did you notice that? Did you notice that as God asks his people to bring their first fruits, they're doing it in the context of a worship service. And he's actually asking them to give Yes to the Levites and yes to the poor, but to give to them by first giving to him. He is the first recipient of his people's giving. And so as God's people give, God wins. What does God get? He doesn't need anything from us. The Bible is clear about that. What does God get as we respond to his generosity by being generous ourselves? Well, the first thing that God gets is our hero worship. He gets our hero worship, right? When we give to God, we're acknowledging 
that we need him, that we believe that he is the good giver, and that we love him. And we're responding in obedience. He gets our worship. He gets our hero worship. Right? Some of you in this room are in your mid-20s. You're cool and you're hip. And you're cool and hip enough not to use words like cool and hip, right? And you have nieces and nephews, or you have students. You have younger people who look up to you. You probably have some young person who hero worships you a little bit. And what does that look like? They do what you do. They say what you say. They dress the way that you dress. Because you're their hero, right? God gets our hero worship. When we give money away the way he gives everything away to us, it's a reflection of our worship of him. He gets our participation. Did you notice that giving in God's economy isn't mere philanthropy? It's not merely giving to somebody in need. It's giving to God in worship so that that resource can be used for his purposes, for the worship through the Levites and for the extension of his generosity and his goodness to the world. He gets our participation in his kingdom work. God gets a good name. Do you remember the sermon from Deuteronomy 15 in which God says something very provocative? Or Moses says something very provocative. He says that if you'll obey my commands when it comes to how you handle money and debts, there will be no poor among you. If you live the way that I call you to live as my people, there will be no poor among you. Can you imagine a country, a nation, even a city, a church community in which there were no poor at all? Can you imagine the intrigue and the acclaim that would come because it's never happened before. And as it happens, as the nations would look to Israel and see their generosity and see their open-handedness and see the ways that they cared, not just for their own, not just for the influential, not just for the powerful, not just for those who could give back, but for the stranger and sojourner, for the widow and for the orphan to the point that there were no poor in the land, the nations would look to Israel and say, who in the world is your God? Because we've never seen anything like this. Friends, when we give in response to God's gifts, God wins. He gets our worship. He gets our participation. And he gets the glory and the honor that he deserves. But it's not just God who wins, right? We put our roots down in relationship with God through obedience so that we can bear fruit in the lives of those around us. And it's clear that when we give generously in God's economy, the least of these amongst us win as well. The widow and the orphan and the sojourners, those who can't do for themselves materially, our passage says, will eat and be satisfied. They will eat and be well fed. Friends, a question for us to take up in our Bible studies, in our parish groups, in our quiet times alone with God is this. Who are the marginalized among us and are they winning 
through our generosity as individuals and as a congregation? Who are the marginalized among us? And are they winning through our generosity as a congregation and as individuals? What would winning look like for them? I think here's one way to think about it. God is saying that it's a joy. It's an aspect of being a fully flourishing human being to be able to open up our hands and to be generous to others. To have resources that we can give away is a good way to be. What if the most marginalized among us didn't just receive enough to be well-fed, but they received enough so that they could have enough to then open their hands and be generous to others so that they could experience the joy of giving as well? What if that were our standard for whether or not the least of these among us were winning through our obedient and grateful generosity? Friends, God wins. Our neighbors win. But it's a win, win, win. Part of what God wants us to see here is that when we give, we win as well. We win. How? Because we're not fearful and we're not proud and we're not greedy. We're not the kind of person we don't want to be. Right? Scholars have pointed out that Deuteronomy 12 through 26 are expanding on the Ten Commandments. And here in chapter 26, this is an expansion on the commandment, don't covet. Who here wants to be known as a coveter? Who here wants to be the kind of person that is green with envy when you look at what your neighbor has? Either because you're so scared that you don't have enough that you need to grasp it, or you're so greedy that you want it for yourself. Does anybody here want to be that kind of person? No, we don't want to be that kind of person. We recognize intuitively that the kind of human being that is a fully flourishing human being is one who reflects God and his generosity and his open-handedness. And what's the antidote to fear and to pride? The antidote is generosity. The antidote is opening up your hands and giving what you have away because it was God's in the first place. And don't worry, he's going to provide for you everything that you need. Friends, we win when we respond to God's generosity by being generous ourselves, which leads us to our final point. When we grasp the grace that leads to giving, when we grasp the good that comes from giving, it ought to lead us to give, to open up our hands and to be generous with what we have and to give. So... Here's a question that I've been wrestling with myself. Should we start with cultivating a heart that wants to give because we're responding to God's grace? Or should we start with giving so that giving would then cultivate the heart that appreciates God's goodness to us and responds? Do we start with the heart that wants to give or do we start with giving to get the heart that wants to give? Which one? The answer is yes, right? Yes, they're happening at the same time. In this passage, did you catch that? As God commands his people to come and to lay their gifts down at the altar, he also says, tell this story back to God. Tell the story of his goodness to you as you're giving the gift. So friends, if you're a follower of Jesus and you know you're supposed to be generous and you know you're supposed to give and you even do it, but you do it reluctantly or you do it fearfully, 
maybe you need to start with reminding yourself of just how generous God is to you. That's what Israel was called to do. Tell the story. Tell the story of your forefather, the wandering Aramean, who was just one sole person, and then God blessed him, and he turned into a nation. Tell the story of the God who took that nation out of slavery into freedom. Tell the story of the God who took that landless migrant people and gave them a land, not just any land, but an abundant land. Tell that story to remember how good God is to you so that you can then give. Friends, we have a better story to tell. Same God, even more full experience of his generosity. So one application is to find ways to tell the story to ourselves, to one another of just how generous God has been to us in giving us the gift of Jesus. We can tell it in worship. I had the privilege of having a conversation with one of our children who was ready to profess his faith and come and receive the Lord's Supper as part of the family. And so we were having a great conversation about the Lord's Supper. And we were talking about the bread. And we were talking about the wine. And we were talking about what the bread represented. That Jesus, God himself, was willing to give his own body so that we might be reconciled to God and our sins forgiven, so that we might be be given the fullness of God's treasures for us, so full that we could then give them to others. We talked about the blood, the wine that represented the blood of Jesus, that he was willing to shed his own blood, that it was a gift that God himself was willing to give to us. Friends, we could come to the table and tell ourselves the story. We could memorize Scriptures that tell the story. John 3.16 is a great place to start. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his very only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, the life of the age to come, fullness of life. 2 Corinthians 8 You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's a great verse to help us tell the story. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Friends, we can tell it using scripture. We can tell it in worship. We can tell it to one another over coffee. Here's another exercise that you could do as homework this week. Find another Christian, maybe somebody here at Grace and Peace. Sit down over coffee and have this challenge. Go back and forth and share with one another all the riches that we have in Christ. You can think historically, you can think theologically, you can think personally, and go back and forth and see who's the first one who can't come up with a gift that we have in Jesus. See how long that coffee goes. Right, friends, we can start being generous by telling ourselves the story of God's generosity so that we can then respond and obediently give. Some of us need to just start by giving because we've known for years and years and years that God loves a cheerful giver and we haven't yet been able to open up our hands 
and give. And so maybe the thing to do is just to be obedient and start to give. Start to give wherever you are. Kids, if you make an allowance, don't wait until you're an adult and you're making big money to give. Give right now back to God with what you have. Friends, the tithe was the 10% that Israel was to bring to give to the work of God through the church and to the poor. And the New Testament only amplifies that. Right? The challenge is to be as generous as we possibly can, but start wherever you are with whatever you have. Set a goal and move toward it. Give to God in worship because he commands you to do it, trusting that it will be good for you as well. Give the first fruits. Give the first fruits. Give something that you're excited about. Give it away. So here's a thought. If you're a big Summer Moon fan, right? It's the Moon Milk coffee. Have you ever had this? Have you had the Summer Moon coffee with the Moon Milk? It's some of the best coffee around, right? Forego your weekly Summer Moon coffee and save that up, and at the end of the month, give that away to somebody as a first fruits. Right? Maybe you're ready to be more radical than that. Maybe you're ready to forgo your vacation and gift a vacation to somebody else who could use it. Give a first fruits. Give in a way that you feel it so that you can experience the joy of giving. Friends, give to the materially needy. If you don't know how to do that, our diaconate would love to help. If you don't know how to do that, you can give to grace and peace. A good portion of our budget is dedicated to helping those who are materially needy, both in our midst and in Austin. Pray that God would give you a renewed lifestyle that prioritizes generosity. Pray that you would beg God to enable you to give more than you're giving now. And then watch out because the joy is going to come. Pray with me. Gracious God, again, you know our hearts. You know where we are when it comes to our relationship with you, when it comes to our understanding of you, when it comes to our sense of whether this world is a world of abundance or a world of scarcity. You know whether we need you to pry our fingers off of your possessions and recognize that they are indeed yours or not our own. You know if we need our hearts comforted that you will indeed provide even though it doesn't feel like that is happening at all. Father, you know. And so we ask that you would meet us where we are with our grace. We long to be generous and we need you to enable us to do it. And so we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.